Let's go ahead and open with the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time right now, God. And Lord, I pray that your precious word would speak to your precious people by the anointing of your Holy Spirit, God, that we may live for you. God, it is our desire, Lord, to surrender more, to submit more. And I pray today, God, that you would set our attention upon you and help us, God, to see you in a clear way and to prepare ourselves for what's coming tomorrow. So, Jesus, we love you and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I read how there's a a rotten-smelling event about to happen at the San Diego Botanic Garden. Some are waiting in anticipation for this infamous flower to actually bloom. And the name of this flower is called the corpse flower. Why that name? Well, you guessed it. Because when the flower opens up and blooms, it smells like rotting flesh or like a dead animal. Uh, This giant flower attracts flies and insects that help it pollinate with its putrid smell. Isn't that crazy? Oh, honey, I brought you home a flower today, you know, kind of thing. The, The corpse flower is the largest flowering plant in the world. It can grow up to 15 feet high, and its petals can be 13 feet wide. So it's a pretty large plant. It is native to Indonesia and has a life expectancy of 30 to 40 years. But it only blooms once every 7 to 10 years. That's why it's such a big deal, I guess, other than the smell. Uh, Ari Novi, president and CEO of the San Diego Botanic Garden, said, So my favorite description of this plant smell is that it smells a lot like you saved up your dirty laundry clothes for a couple weeks. You put them in a garbage bag. You also throw in some dead fish and some rotting hamburgers. And then you put all that by the side of the road somewhere really warm, like, like 110 degrees for 12 hours. How you like that? Uh, <laughs> interesting, the plant actually warms itself to uh, 98 degrees to attract the flies and more flies where they think it's a good place to lay the eggs. So I, to me, it's all around kind of a gross plant. By the way, the giant stinky flowers on the endangered list, being only a thousand plants left in the world, And I don't know about you, but maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) Sorry to say. Some describe this intense smell as just like walking past a really ripe dumpster. (laughs) Well, as we continue our study here in the book of Revelation, uh, we come to really the rotten smell of wickedness and evil coming to full blossom, full bloom in the tribulation time. So, time for the end has come, to end all this, because the world is now ripe for judgment. And that's the title of our message. The world is ripe, is now ripe for judgment. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 14 from verse 14 through 20. We're going to finish the chapter today. And our outline is this, and this is the three things we're going to see. The grain is withered, the grapes are ready, 
And then number three, the gruesome wine press. So that's our outline for this morning. Let's begin here now. The world is now ripe for judgment. Revelation 14, 14 through 20. And number one in our outline, the grain is withered. Now we're going to be covering verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16. But first of all, let's take a look at verse 14 of Revelation chapter 14. It begins here and it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And so we'll stop right here. So we begin with what John saw next in his vision God had given him of the future. And we've been going through this book and seeing what's been revealed, what's been really unfolding before us. And so you remember last time in this last section in chapter 14, John was shown three angels, right? Three angels. The first angel in verse 6 was flying over the whole wild world, a whole, whole wide world. And, and for me, it was like this giant angel casting its, its shadow. And it was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the judgment to come. Then a second angel was dispatched following the first one. And in verse 8, we saw the second angel flying over the world, giving notification, basically. Notifying and saying this, that the whole world system of, of the Antichrist was, was ending now. Ending in judgment. Remember the angel was flying around saying, Babylon is fallen, fallen. Babylon, talking about that whole world system of the Antichrist. Then a third angel came and followed the other two in verse 9. And that angel was flying over the world, warning anyone who would ta- who have taken or would take would take the mark of the beast and reject Jesus in that way, make alliance and give their life to Satan and the Antichrist, in judgment, they would be cast into the judgment in eternal hell. So three angels had gone out. So after the three angels, we come to verse 14 here, and John sees here in verse 14, says, Then I look, and behold, you know what? Whoa! I saw on a white cloud, seated on on the cloud one like a son of man so the son of man here is none other than jesus christ himself who came to the earth as the son of man that's a prophecy from the book of daniel he came as a man a son of man a human being in the flesh god came down to this world and so john sees now not this lamb, but he sees the Son of Man. He's sitting on this white cloud, which really speaks of God's glory. Here's the Son of Man in all of his glory. And on his head, it says here, was this golden crown. And the word there, crown, is Stephanos, which is a, a crown of victory. So you see Jesus in his glory with this crown, really speaking of he's coming in victory. Now, in his hand, though, is something interesting. In verse 14, in his hand, a sharp sickle. Now, you know what a sickle is, that long-handed, you know, handle, long handle with a, a, a curved blade, this tool with a curved blade on it. And it's used, right, to swing and harvest the crop. And 
most of the time, the sickle was used for the grain harvest. So that's what I believe God is putting in our picture. John sees the Lord Jesus ready to reap the grain. Jesus stands here really to administer the judgment as he's holding that uh, sickle in his hand. John in uh, chapter 5 of Revelation 22 says that God the Father was given over uh, I'm sorry, in, in, John, in John chapter 5, verse 22, it says that God the Father has given over the task of bringing judgment. It was given to the Son. It was given to Jesus Christ. So here's Jesus. Here's the Son of Man in all of His glory uh, coming to bring victory, the end of evil and all, bringing judgment. Now, in verse 1, we saw... Uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. But here John sees Jesus as the glorified Son of Man holding that sickle of judgment. Now Jesus, when he returns, comes in a different way, right? The first time Jesus came, he came as a servant. But now he's going to come as a sovereign king coming to rule. The first time Jesus came in humility. But the second time he's coming with majesty and glory. The first time Jesus came and paid the penalty of sin. But you know what? The second time with the sickle in his hand, he's coming to punish sin and wickedness. And the first time Jesus came as a sower of salvation, to sow salvation. But the second time you see he's coming as a reaper of judgment. He's holding that sickle, what we see here in Revelation 14. So let's go on to verse 15. It says, And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him, who sat on a cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And we'll stop there. So then another angel comes out. Another one of God's holy angels, just like the other three, this was be like angel number four and he appeared it says here out of basically the temple and that's the heavenly temple and he came out crying loudly for jesus put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe time has come to harvest the earth now understand this isn't like harvesting souls like jesus had talked about like bringing people into the kingdom this is to bring a harvest of judgment it's a different kind of harvest here and so the grain really represents all the people in the world living by that world system of the antichrist who who've given their life over to wickedness and evil to satan and so jesus is coming with judgment to reap that the judgment upon the people, and that's the grain. Now, take note here. Some some say that this isn't Jesus. This What John saw in verse 14, it's not Jesus, because, well, the Jesus seems to be commanding, right? I mean, the angel coming out seems to be commanding Jesus, right? But, uh, but uh, so it can't be they're thinking that this is an angel, the son of, like the son of man on the cloud. But then some say, that uh, an, the angel was really passing a command of the Father. And that, that kind of makes sense to me. Uh, because 
I believe it is Jesus Christ because no angel really wears the Stephanus, the crown there. So I, I really think it's Jesus. And it makes more sense that, well, maybe he's passing the command from the Father that time has come for judgment. But there's another way to look at this. And, and I was kind of thinking, well, perhaps it's not the angel commanding or the angel passing on the command, the information. But maybe it was more like the angel announcing that the time has come to bring this judgment. And, and I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like um, sometimes in, in church you hear people will say, Preach it, Pastor! <laughs> it's not like they're commanding the pastor to preach it, but they're like in agreement. They're announcing, yeah, I like that. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, you know, amen. It, it's, it's sort of sort of like uh, uh, they're like agreeing, you know, with all that is going on. So for me, I, I, I'm kind of combining uh, uh, the Father's command, and perhaps it's maybe this angel just saying, hey, it's time now. Oh, Lord, it's time. Put in your sickle. Put in your sickle. But either way, with the sickle in his hand, the final judgments are now to fully fall upon the world. And that's what's happening here. Time has come now. This is it. Remember, moving into the last judgment uh, before, right before Jesus returned. So time has come. And why, it is, why is it time? Why is it? Well, look in verse 15. At the end, for the harvest of the earth is what? Fully ripe. The harvest is ripe. Now, understand something here. The word ripe in our Bibles, it actually, the original word actually means dried up. It means withered. It means it's no longer productive. It's, it's spiritual. The world is spiritually dried up. The world is no longer able to produce spiritual fruit toward godliness it's like they're, they're past this point of return and giving their lives and allegiance over to the antichrist and satan so the world is basically beyond the repair of its evil and so the world is fully ripe here so verse 16 jesus the one who sat on a cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped which means the judgment is now to come. And what is this judgment? It is what we're going to see coming up in the next few chapters. It is the seven bold judgments that will be poured upon the earth. So that judgment is now here, right before the return of Jesus in all of his glory. So at this point, right, the seven seals are all done. We saw that in chapter 6, right? And then the seven trumpets, we went through that, and we were in a, this little break between uh, chapter 11 or so, yeah, chapter 11, with, and then about Satan, the Antichrist, false prophet, we saw the 144,000 made it through to the end at the beginning of chapter 14, but now we're moving into, hey, this is it, this is the moment, this is the time. Here, the final judgments are about to fall the worst of all the judgments and it's pictured here as the grain is all withered needing to be reaped and cleared out that's the idea in matthew 13:40, jesus says just said just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so it will it be at the end of the age and i believe this that's the same thing that we're looking at today and what Jesus said in Matthew 13:40. So, 
seeing the grain is withered, and Jesus with his sickle and swinging the sickle. This it all means this: time has come for judgment. For the world is no longer spiritually productive and dried up with evil. That's the point here. Time has come for judgment, for the world is no longer spiritually productive and dried up with evil. Remember the, remember the cane fields? Remember uh, driving past all the cane and, and how beautiful it was, how, how beautiful it made the, the aina, the land, right? And how, you know, the green leaves would sway in the trade winds. And, 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 and it was just so beautiful. I mean, it's great we're planting and using that land for that and farmland. But I, I was thinking about that. Do you remember when, when they stopped the drip system and watering the cane when they were getting ready to burn and harvest it? You remember the, the leaves turning all brown and dried up, yeah? Ready to be harvested. Well, well that's the idea. That the, the, it, the grain, the wheat of the world is just all dry because of the evil. There's not, nothing spiritual about it at all. It's, it's all into wickedness and evil. And so it's all brown. It's all dry. And so as the world has fully turned our lives over to Satan and the Antichrist and rejected Jesus, even with the angels flying around we saw last week, right? They are ready now for judgment. And so, time has come for judgment, for the world is no longer spiritually productive and dried up with evil. Perhaps you're sitting here today, perhaps you're connected online, and and maybe you're spiritually dried up. Maybe you feel spiritual dry. Maybe, maybe that's why no wonder there's so much fleshly things going on and, and sin and giving into temptation because they're, they're, the godliness is gone. There's no connection to the Holy Spirit. Well, perhaps time has come today to repent, to turn to Jesus again. To go back to maybe what you grew up with. To go back to maybe maybe years ago when you gave your life to Christ. The thing is, don't be like this world that we're reading about here during the tribulation years. Don't, don't head down that path where you turn from Jesus, turn from God, where you become, you know, become dry spiritually and where there, there's no life of God or the Spirit in you. Don't go down that that road of evil because what we're seeing is the end of this road. That road, that road ends with what we're reading today where the world is now ripe for judgment. The grain is withered. Let's go to number two. The grapes are ready. The grapes are ready. Now we're going to cover verse 17 and 18 here. Take a, Take a look at this here. Verse 17 says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Now we move on, and then John sees another one of God's holy angels come out. 
He comes out of that temple, the heavenly temple mentioned here, and he, he's holding a sickle himself, just like Jesus. Now, we've seen and we will see also, angels are also tasked to assist Jesus in bringing divine judgment. So, so even Jesus is, is the main administer of the judgments, but angels are also tasked. So he has a sickle in his hand. Then another angel flies out. Now, this is the, the sixth angel, right? The fourth angel after the three last week was the one who said, Oh, Lord, you know, put in your, your sickle. And then the, the, the fifth angel was this one with his own sickle. And now another angel, another one of God's holy angels, flies out. But this time, this angel came out from the altar, and this angel has authority, or he holds that authority, of the fire of the altar. In other words, he's in charge of keeping that fire going. So, so, so what is that? What, what is that talking about? Well, the altar we've seen before. We've seen that way back in, in Revelation 6. And it is the altar of incense in heaven. Just like the earthly incense, I mean the earthly tabernacle had an incense altar. Remember that incense altar was where the, the incense smoke rose up and it represented the prayers of the people. And we saw that back in Revelation 6 when the prayers of the persecuted saints and the martyr tribulation saints were crying out in their prayer, when will you avenge us, when will you avenge us? Well, here's this angel who comes out from that altar, who, who, who's the one like the priest who keeps that fire going. Well, he comes out really representing those prayers, and he comes out to announce, you know what, it's time to answer the prayers of the persecuted saints. Time has come for God to take vengeance for the martyrs of, of where we read through in chapter 6 and throughout the tribulation. So then... In verse 18, we see this angel shouts out and says, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel, in verse 18, calls to the angel in, with the sickle in his hand in verse 17, and he says, Put your sickle in. Yeah, Harvest the Grapes gather the clusters of grapes. So at this point, the analogy changes from the grain, and now we're with grapes now. Okay, we're with grapes now. And the grapes, he says here, are ripe at the end of verse 18. Now take note here, the word ripe here in the original language, in the Greek, is different from what we saw earlier in verse 15. This word actually means ripe, and probably in, in the way we would use it. It means it's in its prime. It, it's saying, you know what, the grapes are ready to be picked. The grapes are ready to be harvested. That's our heading and our outline. So with this picture of the grapes, it speaks of how the people of the world are ripe for judgment. Now, with this change in analogy here, God really is showing us this, how full of evil the people of the world are, how they are now at this time in the tribulation. You can say with the withered grain picture, it showed how spiritually dead the world is toward Jesus. But with this ripe grain picture, it shows how plump 
with wickedness and evil the world is uh, embracing the Antichrist and giving their life to Satan. So they're just plump full of juices of evil here. Remember, at this time, at the midpoint of the tribulation we're at, the Antichrist is at the peak of his power. He's, he's risen up as the world leader politically. Yeah? He's taken over the world economically. We're going to see more in the chapters coming up. And, and so he's really become very powerful. And if you remember some studies in Daniel, I mean, there's been some skirmishes and stuff, but, but he's become very powerful, overtaken anyone who come against him. And then at this midpoint in the tribulation, three and a half years in, he brings in one more thing to solidify his power. And he stands in the Jewish temple, the rebuilt temple, declares himself God, right? The abomination of desolation. And he causes the whole world, he requires the whole world to fall down and worship him as God. And he attributes his power to Satan. Remember, it's that unholy trinity. So the world embraces the Antichrist, gives their life to the Antichrist, makes allegiance to the Antichrist, which means they give their life to Satan. And with all that, he is at his peak. Satan is in that place now where Satan is finally getting what he wanted all along, right? Isaiah 14, that he wanted to be worshipped like the Most High in his pride. And, and that was his downfall, if you remember. And, and yeah, that's why he's a fallen angel. So at this point, this is the peak of evil you could say the peak of wickedness and the peak of where the whole world embraces and 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 grabs on and says forget god and they know about god in jesus but they want satan they want the antichrist so at this point be right before the the end of the tribulation the world is even at its peak of evil following the Antichrist and Satan. The prophet Joel saw the same thing of how the grapes are ready basically to be harvested. In Joel chapter 3 verse 10 it says, Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the wine press is full. And we're going to see that next. The vats overflow for their evil is great. So this is going to be the most evil the world's going to be. This is the peak here in the tribulation. So seeing the grapes are ready and the angel swings the sickle, it means this. Time has come for divine judgment as the world is now bursting with the juices of wickedness. Time has come for divine judgment as the world is now bursting with the juices of wickedness. Now, I know... We're in this section here, and even as we've been going through the different uh, judgments in the book of Revelation, uh, it, it hasn't been a, a fun topic. <laughs> no one likes to say, oh, what did you, you know, learn in church today? Oh, God's judgment, the sickle, you know, judgment coming down. God's going to reap judgment upon the world, you know, kind of. That's not the funnest message, and and. And, but, but I want you to know something here, and, and anyone connected online. You know, when we talk about judgment, it's not like God just suddenly said, okay, Paul, that's it, world, psh, you're, you're done. It's not like God just all of a sudden decided and lashed out in his anger, yeah, upset at things, just, Paul, that's it, 
you know. I mean, there are some that see God as, as this vengeful God and better watch out, walk tiptoe around him, you know, kind of thing like that. Some even say, oh, the Old Testament God, is he's that vengeful God. And the New Testament God, he's a gracious God. But if you really study Old Testament, you see a lot of love. You see a lot of grace. You see a lot of mercy there. So God didn't just suddenly say, okay, Paul, you know, there we go. But God is a loving God that desires people that people would not perish, that people would be saved. And 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 in contrast, right, we saw that last week. The door is still open. He sends angels out. Think at the worst time of the world, the worst time where evil is everywhere, by his grace, he still is sending a message out for people to be saved. So that means, you know what, God has been patient all this time. I mean, he could have ended the world any time. One sin would have done that. But in his patience, he sent Jesus to this earth, right? To come to this earth, to die on the cross for our sins. So we have a way to be saved. He sent prophets that we read about here to talk about what God was doing. That's God's love. He sent the apostles, right? They, they, they rose up after Jesus to preach the gospel, to bring the word of God. And today, that's what we have in our Bibles. He, he sent pastors and evangelists and, and just everyday people to share Jesus with people. That's God's love. And throughout this time, God has giving, been giving warnings, haven't he? He's been giving prophecy like we read in Joel from hundreds and hundreds of years ago that the end is going to come, you guys. The end is going to That's God's grace. He could have not said nothing, yeah? He could have said any, any, nothing at all. And then, oh, boom, it just happens. No. By his grace, he has kept saying the world will face judgment for rejecting God and embracing evil over and over I was thinking about Isaiah chapter 13 11 the prophet Isaiah said I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless in Matthew chapter 3 verse 7 John the Baptist right he, he said, you brood of vipers, talking to the Pharisees, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But I thought this was interesting. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, Paul said, hey, you know what? In the end, it's your choice. In the end, it's your choice. He wrote in Romans 2, 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath. Isn't that an interesting phrase? For yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So it's not like God suddenly is pouring out his judgment. All of a sudden, oh, this is coming. You know, that the world is blindsided. No, this has all been building up, building up, building up. Don't be fooled today. In God's patience, yeah, in His mercy upon you, in Him not maybe bringing some consequences of sin upon you. Don't think that, oh, it's God's not real or God's not going to do anything. Or some people think, oh, God, see, God's, God's, God is a God of love. You know? No, it's His love. It's His patience. It's His mercy that He's holding back. But what Paul is saying is that you're storing it up. If you don't, 
make that choice for God. Think about this too. God didn't all of a sudden say, Paul, okay, that's it, done. You guys are done. No. You know, in the same sense, the world didn't all of a sudden say, okay, Paul, God, I'm Paul with you. Didn't all of a sudden wake up one morning and say, no, no more, God. The world that once respected God, honored the Bible, did not suddenly say, okay, I'm Paul too, and then all of a sudden turned to evil. You know how it happened? Slowly but surely, evil was sold. That's how it happened. And then judgment is reaped. That's how it happened. Slowly but surely, the world sold into wickedness and, and sin. So in the end time, at this point we're, ta- we're looking at, the world will reap its choices, its consequences. I read about a once wealthy man who got caught with his drugs and drug, drug trafficking, and a friend came to visit and found out that he was actually in prison sewing burlap sacks in prison. The friend asked, What, you, you actually sewing? The man replied, No, I'm reaping. I'm reaping what I sow. He's right. We reap what we sow. It's, it's a principle of, of life. It's a principle that God put into this whole creation and everything. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And then verse 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So I want everyone to understand today that what you sow, yeah, what you plant, it's going to sprout out to something. And so if we sow to sin, if we sow to wickedness, if our choice is to sow to that, we're going to reap the consequences of that. And if you don't know Jesus, you're going to reap the judgment that is coming upon this world. But if you sow to the things of the Spirit, if you, if you give your life to Christ, if you plant those seeds, you know what's going to come up? Everlasting life. Life with Jesus. And the things that we're reading here today, where we're at in the book of Revelation, you will not, it will not fall upon you. You will not be under that judgment. So understand what you sow, you will reap. So let me ask you this. What have you been sowing lately? What have you been putting into the soil of your heart? What are the things that you're into? What are those things? Just remember, what you sow, it's going to come out. the, The consequences will happen, whether good or bad. Look, today we look out in the world. And we think, oh, this is crazy, right? Crazy world. And we've, I've already told you, yeah, we're heading into this time. We're heading into the tribulation year. Jesus is coming really soon in the rapture. And we see the world getting worse and worse. It's getting more evil as it souls to sinful things. It's just going to keep growing and growing and more fruit of wickedness and evil are going to be coming out. So I ask you, are you doing the same? Are you sowing to sin and evil? Is, is, you know, Satan, he wants to 
pull you into the world. Be on guard. And with the world getting more evil, Satan and his temptations he throws at you are getting more and more powerful. More powerful, you guys. Be on guard. Be on watch. Are, are you sowing like the same as the world is doing? Well, watch out because in the end, what the world is sowing, what we see today, we're, gonna, we're reading about what it will reap in the tribulation time. That's why during the end times, the world is now ripe for judgment. Let's not be there. Let's go to number three now in our outline, the gruesome wine press. The gruesome wine press. We see number one, the grain is withered. Number two, the grapes are ready. And number three now, the gruesome wine press. So verse 19 and 20, our last two verses today. Verse 19 says, So the angel swung his his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. All right, so the angel, he finally swings now, verse 17, his sickle and the plump grapes full of evil are harvested. And then those grapes were gathered and they were thrown into the great winepress of the wrath of God. That speaks of his judgment. So the wrath of God, the judgment of God is falling upon the world. Now, back then a winepress was basically two large vats like barrels and uh, t- two large big vats and, and they would put the grapes inside uh, the, the upper vat and they would trample, yeah? So the word trodden is talking about your feet, yeah, being trodden, trampling the grapes. And between the two vats was this trough, and it was it connected the two, uh, the upper one to the lower one, so all the juices would flow down this trough into the lower one, and, and that's where they gather the juice to make wine. And so, so that's a wine press. But basically, we know, right, a wine press is where... You know, you step on all the grapes or you crush the grapes, right? And all the juices come out. So that's a wine press. But God's wine press now is like that. This is the analogy. He's going to come in his judgment and crush under his feet the people of the world, the Antichrist, Satan, the false prophet. And and his wine press, it says here in verse 20, in the wine press, God's wine press, the great wine press, was trodden outside the city. That speaks of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, that's the city. That's the main city, the holy city of Jerusalem. It, 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 Jerusalem was spared, in other words. Uh, when the judgment fell, it was protected from God trampling uh, the people of the world. And so where is then God's wine press? Well, we get an indication of the wine press because blood flowed from this wine press. Wine press. So, where we get the ideas, it's connected to the very end when Jesus returns and uh, uh, defeats the armies of the whole world. So, God's wine press, where is it? Well, it's 60 miles north of Jerusalem in a place uh, next to Mount Megiddo. 
in a place called the Valley of Megiddo, or what we will see in Revelation 16, 16 says, in Hebrew, the area is called Armageddon. We know that word, Armageddon. Armageddon is that last battle where the armies of the world, a massive army, turns and fights Jesus Christ when he returns. They, he, crazy. They try and fight Jesus. So now we know this wine press speaks of the battle of Armageddon. And so this whole analogy of the grapes and harvesting the grape and the wine press, it really is speaking about that very last judgment when Christ comes and defeats the armies of the world. So we see in verse 20, the blood flowed from that battle and it pulled up as high as a horse's bridle. That, that's like, what, four feet or so? You know, high. I mean, can you imagine that much blood? I mean, pulling up, yeah, that much blood. That's a lot of blood. So this is a massive army. It's it, it, it's millions, I believe, millions and millions of of soldiers and people coming to fight with the Antichrist against Jesus. And John writes. It spreads out for 1,600 stadia. Stadia is a Greek measurement. Basically, this equals about 180 miles. Some commentaries say it's 200 miles. So around there, 180 miles. So the blood is 180 miles, maybe four feet deep in some areas. There will be so much blood, it will pull, pull up, pour out, and it will flow and spread out for 180 miles. That, that's gruesome. That's why this is so gruesome, the gruesome wine press. So the grapes and wine press speak of the judgment in the coming battle of Armageddon when Jesus returns, defeats the world armies, and that valley literally becomes a blood bath. Literally. This is the gruesome wine press. Wine press. Here we really see a tiny glimpse of what we'll see in Revelation chapter 19. We'll, 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 we'll see what will happen in the end. And this is the judgment. As God is revealing the judgment that's coming, you know, first the grain with the uh, bold judgments falling, and then now at the very end is the grape judgment with the wine press. It, we see God is much stronger here. I mean, to me it seems crazy, right? But understand, remember I've been kind of, letting you guys know that the world is actually deceived into thinking by Satan and Antichrist that they could conquer Jesus. That Satan is stronger than God. That, that there's no way that, you know, they think they can win. The world thinks they're on the winning side. But we know what's going to happen in the end. Their deception will, will come to an end. God is bringing calamity. Oh, he's trying to judge us, but Satan's going to save us. And the Antichrist and his armies, and we're going to gather together, and he's going to save us. But foolishly, right, they turn and fight Jesus, and it really turns out not to be a battle we're going to see in Revelation 19, but a total wipeout, because just by his word, poof, they're wiped out. And this massive army dies as Jesus comes in judgment in this gruesome wine press. It presses out the blood of the Antichrist, false prophet, and all the armies who come and stand against God. God is much stronger. He's going to prove that here. 
So seeing this gruesome wine press surely shows, and this is our last point, when the time for the end comes, the world will easily be trampled by the power of Jesus Christ. Easily. This is what it means in Psalms 110, verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Verse 6 in Psalm 110 says, He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter uh, chiefs over the wide earth. We're getting a little glimpse of the end of the world, of what's going to happen, of those who turn against Christ. I know it's a gruesome scene, but I want you to understand, child of God, that what God will do tomorrow, we get a glimpse. That God, in the end, He wins. He wins. So that means if that happens tomorrow, then nothing can stop God in your life today. Know that. Don't be discouraged. Don't be blinded by Satan, thinking that God's not going to win. That's, that's what he's telling the world at this time. No, God will win the battles in your life. Remember Romans 8, 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen to that. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can conquer Him. You are victorious already. And understand this as we're looking at, at this, that no, in the end, God will win when the world thinks they will win, but they're not going to. So no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what's been oppressing you or pushing down on you or coming up against you, no matter the temptation, no matter what we see, what's going to happen tomorrow, we can find victory today because of that. Because of that. So God gives us this vision as he gave John. He gives us this vision about tomorrow. You know what? To give us faith today. To believe. But with that, God is giving us this vision today to prepare for what's coming tomorrow. To have faith in Jesus Christ. To make that choice today. And not wait. Because we know what's going to happen in the end. We know how the world will be totally deceived and wrapped up with Satan. And we know that judgment will come because of that. And it's almost like today, right now, at present, we're, we're, we're at the beginning of this road. And we all have this choice. Are we going to go that way? This is telling us what's the, at the end of the road. But it also tells us What's the, at the end of the other road where Jesus is? So what path are you going to take? One little boy was trying to sneak into class when the teacher caught him um, and, and said, You're late. 
The little boy said, I couldn't help it. I was late when I left my house to come to school. The teacher said, well, why didn't you just start earlier? The little boy said, because it was too late to start early. <laughs> little kid logic there. But think about that. Right now is the time to give your life to Christ. If you don't, you're going to be pulled with the currents of where this world is heading. I guarantee you. But today is the day to give your life to Jesus and to go on this other path. God is giving us this vision today so we can do something before tomorrow comes. So will you respond to Jesus' love? Will you, will you give your life to Him? Will you let Jesus into your heart? you got to consider these things seriously because the world's heading that way. And God in His heart, in my heart to you today, He doesn't want you to be pulled in that direction when the tribulation comes, when the world is now ripe for judgment. Let's close our eyes. Lord, as we are before you, let us search our hearts and see if there's any wicked way in us, Lord. God, by your Spirit, I pray you would reveal those things and that we would come in repentance of them. And I pray for anyone here and anyone online who has yet to give their life to Christ, that they would today. I pray, Lord, for anyone who's walked away from you, that this will be the day to return to you. Lord, I pray that as we bow before you, God, that you would see us and receive us and not reject us, and I know you won't. But with such a serious message, God, you are calling out. You're calling out, Lord, by your Spirit. We can feel it, Lord. We know you are here, God. Maybe some of you have ran into obstacles even trying to get here. Maybe you're online and, and the stream's been buffering. Because you know what? The enemy doesn't want you to hear this. Satan doesn't want you to know what's going to happen for those who go down this road of the world. But God, you are giving us the opportunity and chance right now to turn our lives around for you. So Lord, help us all right now as we bow to you. In Jesus' name.